Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Well, welcome everybody, welcome to Encounter Church. Great to have you with us tonight, 4pm service, always a kraken. Online church, so good to be with you tonight. Hope that wherever you are, you are ready to connect. That's the thing about online church. I say this a lot, but don't let your situation let you get comfortable because the word of God is coming. It is powerful. It's like a double-edged sword. It's splitting bone and marrow. And whether you're at home, whether you're in the room, God wants to speak to you tonight. Amen. You are not here by accident. You are not here to kill time. You are here because the presence and power of God moves. God is here to speak to you. Make no mistake about it. So I can't wait for that to happen for you tonight. So we are in the middle of a series called The Renewed Normal. And I've been very, very excited about this series because I believe we are ripe for a moment of spiritual renewal in Australia. In fact, in the globe. Uh, the, the bright side, the silver lining of COVID-19 is it creates a hunger for an answer to the problems of life. And in that, people begin to turn to Jesus. They begin to reach out and go, there's something in God that I hadn't previously explored. And in this, in order for us to really reach out and, and get what we need to get, we need to begin to look at the process of spiritual renewal inside ourselves. So for four weeks, we looked at the heart last week. I'd really encourage you, jump on the podcast, jump on YouTube, check that out. This week, we're looking at the mind, next week, body, and then we'll finish off with soul. But it's going to be an excellent time. And if you're new, this is a great time to sit in here for four weeks, connect, go deeper, and just open yourself up. Open yourself up to God speaking to you, God's longing to speak to you. Is that all right? Yeah. Good, because I'm going to keep talking anyway. So we begin with the heart because we are affective people. We are emotional people. We think we are reasoned intellectual people, but it's the heart that we get triggered from and think from first. And then we move on to, like I said, intellect, body, etc. So today, the renewing of our minds. Let's talk about Captain Cook. In 1768, Captain James Cook was given this uh, commission to find the mysterious Terra Australis. It was this postulated giant mass of land down near the south. And so he took his ship, the HMS Endeavour, and some other ships and went down to find this land. And after two years, he found it. And he mapped almost the entire eastern coast of Australia and found it ready for settlement. And upon his return for England, to England, rather, British leadership saw that this large, basically empty land was perfect for both settling and getting rid of large amounts of troublesome convicts. So they shipped across thousands of convicts. They began to spread and settle, and Australia was born mercifully with little conflict and war compared to the birth of most nations. Now, how many of us know that's not exactly how Australia was settled? Right? Like, there's some truth to that, but that's not exactly how it happened. That's a perspective on how Australia was settled. Here might be a different perspective, that the British saw the land of Australia as terra nullius because it was convenient to them, an empty land, and so they sent over people in droves, steamrolling and repressing indigenous landowners, systematically dispossessing and murdering entire people groups, and classifying Aboriginal peoples as animals under the Flora and Fauna Act. That would be another way of looking at it. Except that's not quite true either. 
The Flora and Fauna Act, if you've ever heard of it, didn't exist. It, it's, it's made up. It was made up, uh, we think, in the 70s, just after the constitutional reform to allow Aboriginal people to become part of uh, citizens of Australia, which is, of course, a much needed and overdue reform. But the idea that they would actually classified as animals is simply untrue. And there was a PhD scholar who researched it, and it, in his conclusions, he basically said, look, there is enough trauma in the history of the Aboriginal people. We don't need to be making up extra trauma to add on top of the real genuine trauma that has already happened. So likewise, this idea of terra nullius, if you've heard of this Latin term before, terra australis was south land, land, terra, and um, terra nullius meant basically empty land. And so this idea that the English saw this as terra nullius is simply not true. They didn't decide that until 50 years after they'd started shipping convicts over because it was convenient for their legal claims on the land if they said it was terra nullius first. A lot of the things that we believe are true are not exactly true. Or they're half-truths that have been twisted into reality by history or by the victors or by an interest group. Welcome to 2021, where you should fact-check every part of your life, and whatever you want to be true apparently is allowed to be true. This is the world we live in, and this is why when we talk about renewing our minds, the battleground of the mind is critically important for followers of Jesus. Critically important. Because what our minds believe, we tend to live out. Our hearts affect our minds, our emotions affect our thinking, our thinking informs our belief system, and our belief system informs how we live our life. And how we live our life affects how other people live their lives. We're part of an ecosystem, friends. So, what do we do about that? I want to suggest this, that in a marketplace of competing ideas and competing truths, you and I are challenged to follow a truth that is singular with a capital T, and his name is Jesus. And we are challenged to follow Jesus exclusively in an overarching narrative that says there is no exclusive truth. And we are challenged and, and, and encouraged to do that by retraining our brains. So here is my premise for tonight, church. You are not a victim to your thoughts. You can actually be a victor over your thoughts. And your thoughts can serve what God needs them to serve in Jesus' name. Let's have a look at the idea of neuroplasticity. How many people are familiar with this word, neuroplasticity? Very good. <laughs> Those, I see that hand up the back, Taryn, very good. <laughs> it's, it's the idea that your thoughts can shape or change your reality. Now, it's not all that new. It's incredibly widespread. Self-help gurus have been selling books on these for hundreds of years, most notably the book The Secret, in which uh, the idea of the secret is basically you just think of something you want hard enough and the universe manifests it for you. Don't ask the author what the universe means. Just take it for granted that the universe will manifest it for you. Now, we laugh at this idea, and by the way, we should laugh at this idea, but the author sold 300 million copies, so if the idea was to manifest money, she wins, right? Like, she kind of wins in that scenario. Oh, 30 million copies, sorry. I was... 270 million off. But if I say it out loud and it gets recorded on a podcast, it's true now, right? Anyway. <laughs> Woo. It's going to be spicy tonight. Come on. So here's the thing. These self-help gurus are onto something, right? And it's not just us being suckers. That's a part of it. But part of it is this idea that our thoughts can start to manifest into reality. 
There is something about that. That's the idea behind neuroplasticity. And neuroscientists and psychologists have helped us to realize that the brain isn't fixed. It grows, it changes. In fact, uh, perhaps a prominent example would be people with head injuries who have lost the power to speak can be retrained to speak because the brain can grow and change and restore and create new pathways. Isn't that astonishing? It's miraculous. Neuroplasticity, this idea that your brain can restructure or rewire itself when it recognizes the need for adaption, is effectively about habit. It's about the power of habit. And if you can build intentionally healthy habits, you will begin to rewire your brain and change your life. But guess what? If you let your brain go where it wants, or you allow yourself to build unhealthy habits, you will also change your life in a different way. And I'll give you one guess as to which one's easy to do, healthy habits or unhealthy habits. That's the thing. Dr. Carolyn Leaf points this out. She says, thoughts are real physical things that occupy mental real estate. We can begin to measure thoughts now. That's where neuroscience is getting to. Moment by moment, every day, you are changing the structure of your brain through your thinking. Neuroplasticity allows you to consciously create thoughts that transform the makeup of your brain, not vice versa, which means you are not a victim in the thoughts to your mind. You are a victor over them if you choose to be. That's powerful. That is why when people talk about the power of positive thinking and things like this, even though it sounds like waffle, there is actually something to that. That by thinking the same things over and over and over again, we can retrain our brains in this way. It's why you've heard of German war criminals who broke down and and, and repented to the Jewish people they captured and imprisoned. It's not just grief. It is actually thinking about that grief over and over and over again until it rewires your brain. This is extraordinary. And I'll tell you what it means. It means that Romans 12 is true, not just as a spiritual concept, but as a physical reality. You can be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, this word renewal, by the way, in the Greek is is, is an ongoing word. It's a continuous, which means that you don't just renew it once and go, I'm fine now. You go and you renew it again and again and again and again. You've got to create patterns. You've got to create habits. So this is possible. And it's a huge weight off our backs, church, because the battleground for our minds is immense. And the Bible repeatedly tells us we've got to get our minds in order. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul reminds us that we have the mind of Christ. That is, we can renew our minds by continually realigning with Jesus. And this one is a spiritual principle, but now we've seen it's something we can physically build through training. So the question for us, church, is not if we can renew our minds, it's how. And perhaps more interestingly, what are we renewing them against? So when Paul says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, What patterns is he talking about? Oh, that's a terrific question. I'm glad I wrote it. Let's talk about that. Now, the Bible, talking about our minds being a battleground, suggests that the prize on this battleground are our thoughts. In fact, our thoughts are not only the prize, but they're the weapon. There's another verse I want you to catch here and listen to carefully. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. It'll be up on the screen behind me. For although we live in the flesh... We do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, spiritual strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Church, you need to learn this. You need to learn this skill and so do I. To take every thought captive to obey Christ. That is a big task, right? Every thought, every thought. Sometimes following Jesus seems hard and then you read the Bible and you realize it's much harder. In the battleground of the mind where our thoughts are both the prize and the weapons, Paul gives us his wisdom on how to fight it by taking every thought captive and refusing to allow stray thoughts to have the final say in your life. I wonder how much better your life could be if you did that. For followers of Jesus, we often hear competing voices in our minds making different suggestions and asking different things of us. The thing is, You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to hear these voices. It's just if you're a follower of Jesus, one of your challenges is to discern the voices for yourself and what they mean and how they're influencing you and how they're forming you. Because this series, The Renewed Normal, online church, wake up, no, no, you're fine. This series is about formation. That is, how are we being formed and do we know? Are we allowing it to happen unintentionally, passively by the people we spend time with? Or are we actually consciously seeking things out to form us? And are those things good for us? This is very, very important. So there are four voices we need to be aware of, church, and they each offer a competing viewpoint. And the four are these, the world, the flesh, the devil, and God. Right? The world, the flesh, the devil, and God. Let's have a look at how we recognize them. Let's start with the world. The world is a word that biblical writers use. In fact, it's the Greek word cosmos, which is where we get the word Cosmos, to, and it's a word that they use to describe the voice of culture around us. And while the world is not explicitly against God, the world offers a series of competing narratives, each of which threaten to take our allegiance away from God. Most of the narratives that you will hear in this world have some things in line with Jesus and some things that are not. And the problem is, If they have just enough that we think it's okay, we buy the whole narrative, the whole package, and go with that without critically asking ourselves what this narrative leads to. Ultimately, the world's narratives tend to go in one of two ways. There's a conformist narrative, which says there's a wider culture, and I am part of it, that is who we are. And then there's a non-conformist narrative, which says there's a wider culture, they're trying to press something on you, that's not who I am, I stand against that. And those tend to be the basic streams of response to the world's narratives. Now, the Greeks used a process called Hellenizing to colonize not only people's land, but their culture. And this is kind of what happens with the narratives of the world, right? I, I said this this morning, but when you hear me preach about um, the narratives around us or the things happening in our culture, I try and be specific. I try and say, here in Australia, dot, 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 this is what's happening. Because often we'll read news in America and go, oh, this is what our life is like. It's like, not really. We are not having, praise God, riots in our capital city, right? Like quite often we let the American news define our lives here. It's quite different. But when the biblical writers are talking about the world, they're talking about the broad voice of culture around us. And that voice in America does influence us pretty strongly. The Greeks used to invade a people and then they would Hellenize it. They would push Greek culture throughout the land because if you are so totally surrounded by that culture, you don't even know what to rebel against because it's the air you breathe. The classic thing, I've said it before, two fishes are swimming along, two young fish and an older fish swims past and says, morning boys, how's the water? And he passes and the two fish look to each other and go, what's water? 
Because when it's all you know, you don't even know it's there. You're just breathing it in by default. That is the narrative of the world around us. Now, we haven't been Hellenized. We have been Hollenized. The dominant narrative in our life is driven through Hollywood. It's through the stuff we see on the screen and what spills out of there through the influence of screenwriters and producers and directors who decide what content we are going to enjoy, whether we choose that or not, and put that out on screens. And then through people like social media influencers who begin to take that and they see what's popular and drive that. And then just us and our friends, we get this trickle-down effect and we start to communicate these same things. And so often we don't even realize what narratives are being pushed through. I want to stress... This is not like one narrative. There's not one Hollywood conspiracy narrative and it's just like, I don't know, Scorsese and Brad Pitt and John Hollywood in a room, not a person, um, in a room deciding the future of the world, right? It's not that. It's that there's a whole series of different competing narratives, but that's sort of the vehicles they get driven and pushed through. And they're just not necessarily aligned with Christianity. And we've got to know what that is. Are you with me so far? Okay. I was just not sure I was with me there for a second. So how do you know if you're listening to the world and not to God? This is how. If the narrative you are given doesn't match the biblical narrative of the vision and kingdom of God, every narrative that comes through Hollywood will have one basic line that runs through it, and that is this. You are the king. You are in charge. You make the decisions. But in the kingdom of God, there is already a king. His name's Jesus. He has already made the decision for us, in a sense. He's already laid down his life for us, declared what the kingdom looks like. It's our choice if we buy in or not. So that's the essential difference. Colossians 2, Paul reminds us not to be taken in by empty philosophies and vain conceits. That is what we fight against with the narratives of the kingdom of this world. So that's empty philosophies aiming to compete with God's vision of the kingdom of God. That's the world. Here's the flesh. If the world is the voice of culture around us, the flesh is the voice and the urge of desires within us, right? Now, this is the most obvious one, and I'm going to talk about the body next week, so I don't want to go over the top here, but where the world's messages are driven through media centers like Hollywood, the flesh's messages don't need anything as fancy as that. It's just our physical urges, our, our immediate desires. We see things and feel things we desire and want it. There's a reason that in the Ten Commandments, God had to say, you can't just covet. Like, you can't just want stuff and take it. Because there was immediate gratification desires even back then. They didn't need little red numbers above their apps to make them feel a need for immediate gratification. It's pretty obvious stuff. Lust, anger, envy, greed. The things that draw us away from God by dulling and distracting our minds short-term satisfaction, long-term dissatisfaction. You know what I'm talking about because all of you are trying hard not to think of the specific examples where you've been involved in those things. This is the easiest voice to pick out because we're just awkwardly familiar with this voice. But here's where we need to pay attention to our minds. Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 5 that sins of the flesh begin in the mind. So on the Sermon on the Mount, he speaks about adultery and he speaks about hatred, and murder rather. And he says, you said that it's adultery if you sleep with a woman who's not your wife, but I say it's adultery if you look at her with lust in your heart. You said it's murder if you kill somebody. I'm saying it's murder if you look at them with anger in your heart. Jesus is saying the heart, the emotional center, informs the mind which informs your actions. He is getting to the heart of the problem, friends. 
And when we're fighting the battle of the flesh, we've got to get to the heart of the problem too. So when Paul challenged us to renew our minds, he's calling us to consciously reject sin as it enters our mind and have the mind of Christ that he encourages us in Philippians. You cannot always control the thoughts that enter your brain, but you can control what you do with them. That is the message that Jesus, that Paul, that all the writers of scripture would want us to know. It's the principle behind neuroplasticity. So when the flesh rises up, we have the mind of Christ to choose a better way. Remember that next time you get cut off in traffic. Finally, the third negative voice is the voice of the devil. The devil is the voice of doubt attacking us. Satan is the father of lies. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy people's relationship with God. And the primary way he does so is by creating doubt within us. Now hear me. The devil definitely wants to create doubt in your mind as to the existence of God, but frankly, that's actually quite difficult. And perhaps all you needed to hear today was the devil cannot create any doubt that is bigger than God's truth and that God is up for any wrestle you have with genuine doubt. So don't worry about that. That's okay. But what the devil really specializes in is afflicting you with doubts about you. Where the world's messages are driven through media centers and the flesh's messages are received through our physical senses, the devil's messages are doubts and questions whispered in our ears. Are you sure? Did God really tell you to do that? That doesn't sound like him, does it? Why would he use you? I can think of lots of better people. In fact, not only can I think of lots of better people, I can't think of anything I'd use you for. The devil starts slow and builds, and he lets you do most of the heavy lifting. He'll just plant a seed, and then he sets back and watches it go. This is the work of the enemy in our life, and here's where they work together. The world gives you a false message about a different vision of the world, a different vision of the future that competes with God's. The flesh then says, the parts of that vision I want right now, I want it right now. I'm going to go and get it. And by doing so, we sin. And in that sin, the devil comes in to pile guilt and shame upon us for the vision we chased and the sins we committed. He takes all our anxieties, all our stresses, all our guilt, all our shame, and places all the responsibility squarely on us. And it's too much for us. And so we begin to crack. And this is what's happened to so many of us. See, the devil doesn't need to compete with those other voices. He just leverages them to trap you in your shame. And I don't know if you've heard that voice, that voice that says you aren't enough, that voice that itches our insecurities and causes us to cover up or strip off or cut ourselves or have surgery on ourselves or doubt ourselves or hate ourselves. And church, you need to hear this loud and clear. The devil will come to put these in your mind because these thoughts steal, kill and destroy your happiness your peace, and your relationship with Jesus. But God comes to say you were made on purpose, for a purpose. You were made with deliberate intent. You were made with passion and love. Before you were in your mother's womb, God saw you and knew you and called you out. Church, take it from an adopted kid. You're not an accident. You've been made on purpose. There is something for you. God has a mission for all of us, and he needs all of us to play our part. Amen? So in this moment in time, 
when the different narratives of the world loudly and angrily compete for our attention, when our ability to get whatever we want for our flesh is easier than it ever has been, the devil loves to heap on that problem. So how do you know if you're listening to the devil and not God? Well, it's easier than it seems. If the thoughts entering your mind are against the promises of God, then it's the devil and the forces of darkness attacking you. It's not God speaking to you. If what is coming into your mind twists what God says about you, then it's the devil. So if you start, if you start narratives with God couldn't love me, that's the devil getting in your ear. Because God has already declared that he loves you. He's proven he loves you by calling you his child. It's in 1 John 3. If you say, I've sinned too much, God says nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus in Romans chapter 8. If you say, I can't do it, I'm not strong enough, maybe not, but God can, because he says in Philippians 4, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, because God is your strength. Christ is your strength. The devil will come in to tell you, you can't in God, or you won't, or you never will, and God has said, I've already done it. It's already done. The victory is assured. Just walk in it. These are the promises of God in Scripture. It's how you know you're hearing from God. When you turn to the Bible regularly, you can renew your mind with the promises of God so that like Jesus in the desert, even in your weakest moments, you are spiritually equipped to reject the enemy's influence. You don't have to wait until you're weak. You start building these habits now so that in your weakest moment, guess what? You might fall, but the floor is lower than it, the floor is higher rather than it used to be. You're not falling as far. You're not falling as far. And this, friends, is why we're reading the Bible in a year. It's habit forming. It's rewiring your brain to put the Bible in your mind week after week after week. And the more you read it, the more you learn it, the more you memorize it by accident, and it just gets stuck in your head. It builds neural pathways in your mind. It is the same reason I talk about cultural values. So when you're having a bad Monday and you feel like withdrawing, you remember that your Sundays are meant to invade them on mission, right, church? That's why we do it. It begins to shape you. That's neuroplasticity and spiritual habits working together. Hey, Kristen, are you doing worse than you think? No. No, you're not. You're doing better than you think, am I right? Better than you think. I thought that one was going to be a gimme. You tell me that all the time. Church, are we a past-focused church? Future-focused church. Right. These are the cultural values that we put in place that I do really deliberately to get stuck in your head so that you can speak the truth about what this community is becoming. We're tilling the soil here. That's why we talk about being Bible-fed and spirit-led all the time, developing resilient disciples, so that when you don't feel resilient, you can go, no, no, I am a resilient disciple. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're building. That's what we're about. You speak it into being, and it begins to rewire your brain. Because you speak it, then you begin to believe it. And when you believe it, you begin to do it, and then it continues to rewire your brain. It seems like it's backwards, but somehow in God's glorious economy, and the way he's created our brain, it works. You can speak the stuff into being and do it. So this is why I teach my children the Lord's Prayer. They all know how to recite it off by heart, not because they're geniuses, they're brilliant, I love them, but because of habit. 
It's the same way, the reason I say the same mantra to them before school every single day. So they will believe it and know it and live it out. It's the same reason I tell my daughter every time she's feeling a bit flat that she has a big, beautiful brain. I don't tell her she's smart one day and then has a sharp mind the next day and then afterwards go, you're pretty quick kid or whatever. I use the same words again and again and again because when she is falling and she feels like she's flat, I want her to immediately trigger in with that information. No, 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 no. My dad has always told me I have a big, beautiful brain. Church, that's what God is saying to you. He's saying again and again, I've always said, I am your father. I call you daughter. I call you son. I call you beloved. I call you valued. I call you home. I call you into my arms. He says it again and again throughout scripture. And he's calling us to listen to that stuff. Sometimes we get bored because we're like, oh, he's saying the thing again and same thing again and again. Why do you think he's doing that? Because he wants you to catch it. Because it is so important. Because if you don't believe this narrative, God's narrative about who you are in Christ, you will believe something else. And whatever the something else is will inevitably crush you. Because it is relying on some other source of strength than God. We can use spiritual habits to reinforce God's promises to defeat the lies of the enemy. We can do this. Now, this part will be difficult for people to hear, but it's very, very important. I want to say it clearly and carefully. I want to warn you, this might be very difficult to hear. The anxiety and depression that you feel can be healed by Jesus. It involves personal agency. It involves neuroplasticity, but it can be done. I speak this not out of positive psychology, but out of personal experience. So my story is this, some of you will know about it, but in 2012, I was diagnosed with depression for the first time. I probably suffered it for quite a while before that, but that was the diagnosis. And the next three years were really, really difficult. And over those three years, I spent a lot of time praying. I spent a lot of time uh, taking meds and then not taking them and then trying again and then changing my dose. Spent a lot of time finding counselors and psychologists and people to talk to that would help. I did everything I could under the sun, and it was okay. I was keeping my head above water, just. I wasn't enjoying life whatsoever. And then there came a moment three years in where I just sensed God challenging me in a moment of prayer where he said, Mike, if I give you healing, if I say to you that I will heal you, will you believe it? Will you step into it? Will you actually claim it and then walk it out? Because remember, part of neuroplasticity is naming it, believing it, and walking it out. And God's saying, if I heal you, are you going to walk in it? Or effectively, is it a bit of a waste of time? And I had to really chew on that. Because it is something in the mind, isn't it, depression? And you've got to ask yourself, am I willing to step out in faith knowing that I might still have bad days along the way? And then what do you do? Then what do you do? But I did. I stepped out in faith and I trusted God in that. And for two straight years, that was it. God took depression away, nothing for two straight years. I prayed, I claimed it, and I kept claiming it. I praised God, I thanked him for what was happening. And then, like in any relationship, I began to take it for granted. And I started just not doing that anymore, not claiming it. I just sort of went, cool, I'm healed, no worries. Untouchable. But it's not that simple. 
And so I discovered a couple of years after that that I needed to keep claiming it. And as I went through a stage of real genuine grief in my life, I needed to keep claiming the promise of God over my life to continue the habits that were rewiring and reforming my brain to help me believe what God had already declared about me. God had said it, I had to believe it and then walk in it. That is the way of the kingdom. God says it, we believe it, we walk in it. You gotta do all three of these. So for me, claiming the promises of God have been the breakthrough in my healing of depression. Now here's the thing. Others have not found it to be this way. And so I wanna be really careful. This is not meant to be an advertisement to say don't take medication. I feel, I feel very blessed not to have to take medication anymore. Other people do. More power to you. If it is what you need to do to heal, take it, please. See a psychologist. See a counselor. For me, seeing a Christian psychologist was the most helpful thing I kept doing. But here's three things that you need to do if you are suffering from any kind of depression or anxiety and you want to see breakthrough. If you do these three things, you will begin to see change. First thing is this. Pray desperately, desperately. Cry out to God regularly. Pray as if you have nothing else in your life except the power of God, because you don't. The second thing is this, claim healing. Claim it like I did. Did I truly believe God wanted to heal me? I had to claim and walk in what I sensed God saying. And the third and final thing, which is the really hard bit, is building the habits. You have to actually apply it, which means that when you are flat, you still have to try and apply it, which means that when you're doing well, you might have to put things in place so that it's easier when you're flat to be building those habits consistently. It means you've got to start being aware of when you're at a really bad place and in really bad times, and then you've got to push through and grow in resilience and learn in resilience. And as I said this morning, it kind of sucks. Like it's really hard, really hard to do, but it can be done. And the reason I'm saying this is not just as, as some sort of way to share a personal story or my personal journey, church, but because I want to see this in your life. I, I want so desperately for our church to be healthy, to be a beacon of light. And, and I know, oh, Lord, how my heart breaks for you who are here who is suffering with depression and anxiety because I have been in that pit. I know what it's like. I know how grim it is down there. And I know how badly you want it to. Like, I, I don't, that's not prophetic. I just, I just know how badly people want healing from this. We've got to claim it. We've got to pray it. We've got to do it. And we've got to keep doing that again and again and again. And we will see breakthrough. It might take one day. It might take 500 days. It's entirely possible. But with persistence, you will see breakthrough. You will. The healing of God is bigger than anything else. And I want us to hear that because I think as Christians, we've become people who very quickly go to medication before we go to the Holy Spirit. Medication is great. The Holy Spirit is always better. Let's switch that around. Not eliminate medication, but put the Holy Spirit first. Let's lean into the power of God. Because if you've ever been in a space like I have been, where you've tried medication and it didn't work, that's a pretty tough space. But the Holy Spirit always works. 
power of God is always moving in us. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you're able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.